You are listening to episode four of the PJ Performance Podcast with your hosts Paul and Jack. This episode is our first insight into professional sports series with professional cricketer Chris Green. Welcome to another episode of the PJ Performance Podcast. We have a really special guest on the show today, Chris Green. We caught up with Greeny a few weeks ago and thought that there was no better time to release this with the Caribbean Premier League up and running. Greeny is also a bit of a soaker fan, which is why you can hear this banger in the background. I met Greeny back in 2011 when I was working at his high school as a gap student and he has been a great mate ever since. When I was thinking of who to bring on to this segment and start the Insight into Professional Sports series, Greeny popped to mind straight away and without hesitation said that he would help us out. So I really appreciate that, Greeny, and welcome to the show, mate. No, no worries. Thanks for having me, boys. I'm looking forward to it. No, it should be a bit of fun. So when talking about cricket profiles and CVs, Greeny's is pretty extensive. He has represented New South Wales, played in competitions such as the PSL, CPL, BBL, the T20 Blast, and even ventured over to Canada for the Global T20. How was that, mate? A lot of fun. Canada, you know, Canada for me was one of those places that's at the top of the places that you want to go that you may never get to, um, sort of, and to to go there for cricket um, and have as much fun as I did in Toronto, both on and off the field. It was a class experience and... um, yeah, I can't wait to hopefully get back there again for cricket. But if not, I'm definitely going to go back and travel it. Yeah, I was going to say both on and off the field. We'll on that during the podcast, but we'll try and keep it mostly on the field as much as we can. Sure. Perfect. So um, just a bit about background yourself and for the listeners who might not be aware, mate. So originally from Durban, obviously I met you through your time at Knox and moving to the North Shore and now living in Manly, I know it must be pretty tough gig there, mate. What sort of drew you to <laughs> where you are now and um, obviously a bit of background about yourself? I thought we were keeping this serious. <laughs> um, no, look, you know, born and raised in South Africa, as, as you said, um, both my parents uh, were professional tennis players. So mum being from England, dad from, from South Africa, they met playing tennis um, on, the, on the professional circuit, uh, both you know, had the highlight of their career, I guess, played at Wimbledon um, and, you know, played for a couple of years traveling the world, doing what they love. And um, then I guess moved to South Africa, had had my brother and I, dad started a, a, a real job when he first met mum in London and moved to South Africa with her. And um, it came to a time in or oh, back end of the 90s, uh, I would have been five or six years old and dad had to move from um, got told he, for work was going to have to move from Durban to, to Joburg um, sort of bring up two young kids in Joburg wasn't really at the front of mum and dad's minds and, and weren't keen, overly keen on it so they my grandparents actually just come out to Australia for a holiday um, and you know raved about it and mum and dad never got the opportunity to come out here and play tennis I think mum got injured when she was meant to come out for the Aussie Open and dad could never get a visa from South Africa um and you know came out here got brought to manly day one fell in love with it um and you know called his work and said look is there opportunity to move to australia and 
we moved to Sydney, I think, 12 to 18 months later and, and begun our new life here in Australia, which was a pretty big move. Um, obviously, for them being, my brother and I being younger, it wasn't as big. It was still tough, but um, not as tough. So started schooling up up on the North Shore and um, had public school and then went on to Knox where obviously we met Woody, but um, there was a, a big love for, for sport, in particular tennis, cricket and, and soccer growing up um, and then formed more passionately for tennis and, and cricket, um, I guess, through my, my teenage years and had to make the decision in year 12 writing my HSC whether I go to uh, America and pursue a tennis scholarship in the States or, or stay here and, and play cricket um, and try and make it as a professional cricket player. Um, so... It was, a, it was a tough decision and uh, I, my way of choosing was just, you know, I didn't want to go overseas. I was happy at home. I'd, I'd started, um, you know, the cricket season half decently for, for club when I was 18. I had a good club season and school season at Knox my last year and, and wanted to stay and, and play some cricket. And, you know, the one, led, one thing led to another and opportunities started to open up for me. And, um, yeah, I guess that developed my ultimate passion and love for the game of cricket and, and make me want and desire to be a professional even more so um, upon leaving school. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. And um, you sort of mentioned a few things I was going to go through anyway, but with obviously your mum and dad and now Cam being professional tennis players, do you have any regrets, you know, going through the cricket path and think about what could have been with the tennis? Oh, it's one of those things you, you, you always, you'd, you'd like to almost look into a crystal ball, wouldn't you, and, and look at it and go, how how good could I have been or how how high could I have gone or how far could I have gone with my tennis? Would I have been able to reach, you know, the same heights that I'm reaching now in cricket, same heights as my parents or same heights as my brother? You know, it's so hard to crystal ball. And then that's where I, I think you've just got to, you know, I, I haven't thought about it too much. There's been times where, you know, you give it a little bit of thought or my brother would tell a story or my old coach would, mention it to me and, and you sort of give it a bit of thought of what, what could have been or, or what may have been. But, um, you know, I, I absolutely love what I do. I love cricket and there's definitely been no looking back since that decision and, you know, when I was in year 12, 17, 18 years old um, to, to – I still play tennis but to, to put all my efforts into playing cricket and making a career out of cricket. Have you go against Cam recently, mate? <laughs> I, we play points out of the hand. I can half hold my own. I can win a couple of points when we're playing out of the hand. But as soon as we're, we're serving, I can't even get near his serve um, or even hold my own serve um, against him. So I just stand in half a court and he stands in whole court and I try and run him around as much as I can. And I think I'm still getting tired before he does. It's, it's an amazing um, to see the disparity in, in skill level. Hey, Grady, Jack here. Welcome again to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Just before we get more into the detail about your career, career um, Paul's just put on the run sheet here that he used to get a few wins against you playing backyard cricket back in Warunga. Is that correct, mate? I don't know about what he calls winning. Yeah, Paul used to come around to, to my house quite often. Uh, we had a mutual friend that sort of introduced us from abroad and, um, yeah, he used to come around for some backyard cricket. And, and I, I remember the only, only thing he sort of won at was Running, uh, running around the front of the house because I used to hit him for six over the house a few times. So I think that's what he won, the only thing he won the tally at. But, yeah, I can't really remember him him defeating me because it was, you know, it's your own back, 
backyards. So you control the game, the rules and anything, and I could make them up as I go just to ensure that I never lose. Great. I think we'll just agree to disagree then. <laughs> I think that sounds about right, to be honest. Now, yeah. obviously, mate, you've played some um, pretty impressive competitions all around the world. Paul named a few at the start. Obviously, the PSL, um, the BBL and, and T20 Blast all over the world. What drew you to white ball cricket and do you have any inspirations or aspirations to play red ball cricket in the future, whether that be for um, New South Wales or even the baggy green potentially? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think there was anything that drew me to, to white ball cricket or, you know, T20 cricket. Um, if, you, if you look at that or focus on that particular format, it, it more came about through opportunity to play. You know, I, I was just playing club cricket um, in oh, 2011 when I finished school, 2012 and then 2013 as well. And, and I remember going overseas to England for my first club year in 2014 and um, that was uh, on the back of probably my best first grade year to date. I, I performed really well in a one-day final, got man of the match when we won it. And, um, you know, timing's everything. Greg Mayle, who was the New South Wales one of the New South Wales scouts or selectors at the time was obviously in the opposition and, and little to my knowing that um, New South Wales were a short a spinner in the lead into the one-day tournament and called me back from England early to, to join up with them. Um, on the back of that, the Thunder wanted me as their last spot, uh, I guess, to have a punt on as their last contracted spot for that season. So that sort of happened really quickly and, and sort of out of nowhere. You know, I haven't, I didn't have massive weight of runs or massive weight of wickets. Um, it was more just performing, I guess, at the key, key, key time and the key moment and, you know, in a really big game, if you like, um, and impressing the right people um, and then taking the opportunity from there. So the opportunity to, to play at a high level for me seemingly, seemingly to come consistently now in the short format um, and then given my recent success, obviously T20, that has developed overseas. Um, my aspirations, like any any kid growing up, is my my absolute dream is to to wear a baggy green and play test cricket for Australia. And, and you know, you look at the some of the major venues that i am already been lucky to play at, but I'd love to play, you know, a Boxing Day test, uh, a test match at Lords, you know, be on a test series uh, tour to India. Um, I just think that, that still is the pinnacle of our game. Um, T20 cricket and T20 franchise cricket are providing other avenues for, for cricketers like me to, to get experiences and, and have some pretty cool, you know, life journeys and, and career journeys and grow as players and people um, in doing so at the same time. So, you know, it's not necessarily something that I've directly chosen to do or focus on. It's more just... I want to play cricket at the highest level and, and these are the opportunities presenting it to me. And, you know, when you compare staying and playing club cricket to playing in the PSL or in the Caribbean, you know, for me, that opportunity to play with and against some of the best cricketers over the last three years and, you know, this season coming, if it's going to play out the same way, um, is an easy decision to go and because I've learned so much off them already um, in, in such a short time in the, in the professional setup. Yeah, of course, man. And, you know, you talked about the aspirations and playing in a boxing day test, you know, that's every kid's dream growing up. If there was the opportunity that that could be either for the South Africans or even better, obviously, for me, for England, 
you, Come on, Paul. Would you take the opportunity too, or is the bag of green still the still the goal? Oh, you know, I, I see myself as Australian, um, even though I've, I was born in, in South Africa and have UK passport. And um, uh, for me, I'm, I'm Australian and, and my dream is, is to play for Australia. Um, you know, if, if it means that that, that dream is, is seemingly impossible and, and there's other opportunities later in life to achieve a, that, a similar dream for a different country, then sure, I don't think there's any issue in doing it. I think you know, that there's been countless cricketers that have played for Australia, England, New Zealand that have been from different countries and still been able to achieve their their dreams and, and highs in the game and, and represent their newfound countries. And so I, don't, I certainly don't have an issue with other players doing that. And, you know, if I feel like the opportunities, for example, have, have dried up for me, um, then and there's an opportunity to, to, to change and, and still pursue that dream or pursue my career, then absolutely I would. Yeah, of course, mate. Um, well, what we're going to do is just sort of get into the questions. I know we've got a lot of listeners who will be very interested in this sort of thing. So what countries have you enjoyed playing in the most and why? What sort of sticks to your mind? It's just so, I get asked this question a lot and it's so hard to to answer and say, you know, there's definitely been, been one. Um, if I look at my first experience in the PSL, which was all in Dubai, um, never been there before, or never been off the out of the airport there before. So it was a it was a cool place to to sort of experience. But the cricket in general, that was my first taste of T Twenty franchise cricket, and I guess that's what I was alluding to earlier with the benefits that I've been able to to get from it. My first breakfast, because all the players were staying at the same hotel, my first breakfast as they got off the plane was at a table of eight, and it was myself, Shane Watson, Kevin Peterson. Uh, Kumar Sangakara, Mahala Jayawada, Brendan McCullum, um, and and I just sort of you know we were sitting there and I felt so out of place, um, but we were, they were just telling stories. We were all interacting there, including me. They had an, they knew who I was and, and what I'd done in you know two or three seasons of the Big Bash, whereas the only place I'd played, and um, it was a really cool you know start to my journey and and the fact that I was able to tap into their knowledge for the remainder of the four weeks there um, was probably you know easily one of my highlights of not only that tournament but of of my life to date and and that's the you know that's the beauty of these tournaments is you're staying with different players of different backgrounds so you get to develop relationships um with them and understand how they were brought up, you know, how they prepare, what, what they've been through in, in their journeys to, to get to where they are. And, you know, you can learn so much off just listening to them talk and it's, it's, it's cricket lessons, but it's, it's also life lessons and it's helped me, you know, skip a little bit of that learning curve and, you know, Shane Watson, for example, opening up about his journey and mistakes he's made. I can, you know, at times relate to that and try and adapt it to my journey and therefore, you know, not make the same mistakes. You, you still may make similar mistakes, but you're, you know, you can, when you're in that moment, you can draw upon, oh, you know, Shane's gone through it this way. I can try it. My spin on Shane's version of events, for example. Um, so that's the thing that sticks out from the first tournament, you know, that the Caribbean was a lot of fun. Um, you know, that the passion, I was blown away by their passion for cricket. You know, you sort of see and the, you know, the culture and, and what we know of the culture is very laid back and, um, you know, don't really care. And, and, you know, people sometimes say they could be lazy, but 
they they work their butts off and they're so passionate and driven, um, the players and the fans, about this game and absolutely love it. So the passion is definitely, you know, still alive and, and, and burning and there's some amazing talent as we're seeing now on the world stage coming out of the West Indies. Um, Canada, as I said, was a lot of fun. Um, again, all in one spot. So you spend time with coaches like Stephen Fleming, Tom Moody, you have dinner with them, um, you share a bottle of wine and, and, you know, everyone's sort of relaxed and talking about the game and, um, and, and life and, and you learn so much. So that would be, I think, the, the consistent thing that I have to draw back to is just spending time off the field talking cricket and life in general and then on the field's a lot of fun because it's, it's just different cultures enjoying the same game. You know, in the Caribbean, they danced the whole time. In in Pakistan, there was just constant noise and screaming and, and um, dancing in the stands a little bit when the music came on, but they're just constantly going at it. England is the singing and dancing in the stands and, and you know, they sing it, as you would know, Paul, is, is that the atmosphere there is so cool. Um, everyone just sings along, has a great time, dresses up. Um, and then here the Big Bash is really drawn in the family. So um, they're all great for their own different reasons um but as i said i have to draw back to my one thing that i absolutely love is just spending time with different cricketers talking about cricket and life and learning from from others about this great game and that's absolutely awesome and some yeah some absolute knowledge bombs being thrown in there paul paul what now jack you're forgetting something mate what do you want about the podcast sponsors. Oh, silly me. You are listening to the PJ Performance Podcast, sponsored by Acceleration, enhancing sports performance, and Acceleware, a professional management system for coaches and managers. That's better, Paul. Mate, for for me, you know, you're talking about the likes of Mahala Jai Warner, you're talking about Shane Watson, even, you know, Dre Russell, you played with at Thunder. What's the first thing do you say to him when you introduce yourself? Like, how do you even go about that? It's so hard. Um, I, you know, it's it's an awkward, I find it a really, it's a really awkward stage because, you know, I know exactly who they are. You know, the, I still talk about the moment I met, I met my cricketing idol at the Thunder, which was Jacques Callas, who was the overseas, my, the first year I was signed and then the following year when we won it. Um, and I grew up absolutely idolising him, watching his every move uh, on the cricket field. He was my cricketing hero and still is. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was tasked with the first thing is I had to, you know, walk him around and introduce him. I was one of the two players that had to do that for a quick piece to camera and I, I couldn't speak. Um, and he said, hi, Hi, I'm Jacques. Nice to meet you. Uh, and I said, I know exactly who you are. I'm, I'm Chris Green. Um, and, th- and that was it. That was all I said to him that whole first season. Um, it was all I could really manage out. Um, and then fortunately, obviously, we got him back and our coach got wind of it and we were able to develop a relationship. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough at when you meet these greats for the first time and they go, hey, Chris, or hey, Greeny, how are you going? And you're like, oh, hey, I didn't know you knew me or knew of me. Um, so it's, it's pretty humbling and, and pretty cool. But then, you know, once you get past that, everyone's on around these tournaments are really good people, um, really open, uh, wanting to catch up off the field, whether it be for a coffee or a glass of wine in the evenings or, or whatever, 
or lunch the day of the game and, and just talk talk cricket and talk openly about their cricket, talk openly about my cricket and answer any questions that I have because I feel like I badger a lot of them and, and whether they like that or don't like that, I, I'm not really I'm not really sure, but I just try and sap and suck as much knowledge out of these guys as possible. That's absolutely incredible, mate. Um, you you mentioned how much fun the Caribbean was and the reason I go on that is I've got a bit of an invested interest in the Caribbean. I went there um, in a cricket tour in 2010 with my old school and I absolutely love the music. Um, I think back then we went to Barbados and Harbour Lights and the Gap was the, the place to go. What is the circuit like out there, mate? Any sort of interesting things that you can share? I've never heard of the Harbour Lights or the Gap pool. I usually just play my cricket, go back, have a stretch, you know, maybe have a glass of red, go to bed, wake <laughs> up the next day, do physio, yoga, Pilates, then train and, and that's it. So I don't really know what you're talking about there. You're going to have to elude more. No, that's all right, mate. We might have <laughs> a podcast that we're going to do later on. but um, we'll- yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. It's great fun, mate. As I said, they're, they're so passionate. Um, their love for cricket is probably second to their love for, for music and, and having a good time. And, and that's a big thing that I guess it, it hits home is you've got to enjoy life both on and off the field is take it seriously on, but you've still got to enjoy your time off the field. And they certainly live up to that. Absolutely, Green. Now, sticking on the country theme, as you mentioned, you've played all around the world. Um, obviously, that brings different challenges in terms of the wickets and, and conditions and fields that you play on. Can you give the listeners a bit of an insight into, um, I guess, the different kind of conditions you might face when you're playing in Dubai compared to Pakistan or, or whether that be Australia? And, and what kind of conditions do you like to bowl on yourself? Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool and it takes time to adapt. Um, Dubai uh, was the wickets were okay, a little bit slow in comparison to here. So in Australia, we we don't get a lot of spin. We get up being for me being tall and six foot three, six foot four. I get a lot of bounce and, and sort of try and use that to the best of my ability. Um, batting, it's obviously a batter's dream in Australia, um, particularly in short format cricket where the wickets are fast and flat, um, with a few drop in wickets like our one at the Thunder and, and the Renegades home wicket. Um, being a little bit inconsistent at times, but that's being super picky. Um, when you get overseas, it, it's it's very different. Dubai can sometimes be a bit slow and a little bit more conducive to spin. Sharjah, there's two types of wickets, one that's really glassy and, and a road and the boundaries are like way too small. Um, and then there's one that's a little bit less glassy and that turns square. So you just sort of assess conditions as quick as you can there. Um, the f- Funny, my first time in the Caribbean, uh, which would have been two years ago, um, going over as a replacement player for Guyana, I still remember my first net session. And, and obviously, even as an overseas player, you've got that added pressure to, to obviously impress and you've got to win. You've actually got to win your team a certain number of games by yourself, particularly in T20 cricket. So that's something that um, is definitely different compared to you know playing in for the Thunder. You still want to do that. But there's actually the expectation that these teams have, have hired you as their contractor, if you like, to come in and, and win them or help them win a number of games and then contribute in others that um, will hopefully go on to, to put them in a, the best position to win overall. Um, so first net session, get in the nets in Guyana. And, uh, you know, if those, if those nets were in Australia, anywhere in Australia, no one would have trained. They would have said they're, they're not prepared properly. Balls were rolling. They were spitting square. Um, 
you know, I felt like I'd never played cricket before when I had batted, but when I bowled, I felt like an absolute genius. Um, you know, I was able to get balls that turn absolutely square, some to bounce over the top of batter's gloves and go straight through. Um, just the variability in, in conditions that you're able to, I guess, conduce out of the pitch. Um, and that's why I've loved it and, and probably had a lot of success because of the pace I bowl at. I'm able to extract more spin than maybe others there and, and, and a lot less spin than, you know, say others do in Australia, for example. So that's just ad- learning and adapting along the way as best you can. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that's critical for any young spinner or, or batter out there is just being able to assess the conditions as quick as possible and and adapt to that. I think too often we see, even in the BBL, we might get a slow turning wicket or a, a quick wicket and batters and bowlers don't adapt quickly enough. And I think in, in the big bash particularly, the team that adapts the quickest are generally, generally the team that come out on top. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that stresses the point of what the good players obviously have that knowledge base of how to do that. And then, and for the guys who aren't, don't have that knowledge base or aren't as experienced or, you know, haven't gone through different conditions like the top players do, that's, that's where it's not, ha- not being afraid of actually asking, you know, is it if you're at the Brisbane heat, for example, and AB de Villiers is there is just badger him because it's, it's, it's better for the team. It's better for you. And it's, it's therefore it's better for everyone overall. And, and, you know, AB, we're at, at Sydney Thunder's home ground today. The wicket's typically been up and down and, and really slow. How do you approach those sort of wickets? And, and even if it doesn't apply to that game or that circumstance, you know, you, you may find yourself in a situation later in life where, oh, I, the light bulb turns on. It's, oh, I remember that conversation with AB and he said he does this and then you can apply it that way. Um, and that's what I did in the Caribbean. I you know, I was able to, to tap into some knowledge that Mike Hussey gave me um, when, you know, they, at the end of that, that tournament, there was stuff going on within the, in, the, in the team setup that all of a sudden I found myself captaining the team in my first year and we went on to the final and, and I was constantly chatting with Mike Hussey, just asking him dumb questions, you know, you know what, how do you actually get the team to buy into your plan and when there's four players running at you, um, offering you different opinions how do you trust your gut in that and you know feel strong enough about that and those are my questions um and you know it makes you feel a little bit insecure when you think about that but once you get that clarity as we all know in in cricket but also in life and you know exactly what your role is exactly what you need to do you you you're giving yourself the best opportunity to execute it and therefore you can you can go do it and hopefully therefore contribute to the success of the team Absolutely, mate. Dumb questions, they're my forte. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think asking more questions is obviously going to help anybody learn. Um, so really good advice there for any young cricketer. Now, obviously, you've played all around the world with some absolutely incredible players. You've already mentioned the likes of Jacques Callis, Dre Rush, Shane Watson, Brendan McCullum. In terms of your bowling, what do you think was the one most influential player um, that you've had and why, and then also with your batting? Oh, um. Bowling's a good one. Uh, you know, I think my my go-to coach and, and guru is um, a guy that I'm working with currently still. Um, I got recommended him when I was 20. His name's Anthony Clark. And, I, I you know, I, I go to him and, and he watches me bowl and he picks up on things that I can't see or feel and straight away it, it clicks. So he, in terms of a coach, he's been my guy. But, you know, more recently chatting 
chatting with Johan Botha um, through the experience I had in the CPL and applying, you know, how he was a very d- successful defensive bowler. Um, and that's typically a lot of the strategies that I employ as well. So, you know, engaging his different mindsets was really cool. And, and we've, it's funny, everyone goes, oh, you know, you guys are very similar, but we're very, very different as well. So it's just applying those one or two things. But I'd have to say, you know, with my bowling, it's, it's more been checking in with batters. Um, and Shane Watson, for me, has been that key batter that I've bowled so many balls at him in the nets and all my new deliveries and different deliveries and, and different feels, I've basically tried out on him and gone, you know, what was that like? Was that easy? How was that? Um, another guy who came to Thunder was obviously Josh Butler and I asked him a lot of questions. So it's, it's something that I, I do with batters a lot and it's, it's about picking the right batters especially in the nets because, you know, often go, oh, that's not out, that's six, and some bowlers go, oh, that's always out. Um, but it's just picking the right batters that you can tap into, you know, that made me feel I was hard to, to get that ball away or I found that one easy to get away um, and I could get on top of. So that's, that's typically what I used is, is using batters and, and those guys, namely Shane and, and, and Joss. Um, and then with the bat... Similar ones. Um, obviously, you have my coaches, but I think the one thing that resonated with me most was Joe Root coming out um, in his season uh, that he had with the Thunder last year, uh, and it, it, I reckon it contributed to my success and consistency with the bat last season um, as well. Was he just said, you, "You you you don't have to try and force the ball; just go out there and try and hit the ball and time it in the middle of the bat," and that for some strange way or reason resonated with me and just made me calm down a lot when I was at the crease and, and slow things down and see things a lot more simply. Um, and it's contributed to my now processes that I guess I apply um, all the time. Joe Root, mate, not the worst batter to learn off. Now, we've mentioned players so far. What was your favourite team, whether it be um, T20 or one-day cricket that you've played with around the world? <sighs> Wow. Um, oh, I, I have to be biased and go, you know, I've, I've played with some good ones and great players, but the, the team the year we won the Big Bash was um, was phenomenal. I think we had Jacques Callis and Andre Russell as our overseas players. Mike Cussie was captain. Um, Shane Watson, Usman Khawaja, Clint Mackay, Aidan Blizzard, Chris Hartley, um, Pat Cummins maybe for a game or two that year, but not many. Um, and I've probably forgot Ben Rora, you know, like guys that were just at the middle or peaks of their career or even back ends of their career. So just for me as a, in my first full season and second sort of year um, of professional cricket, being able to tap into those guys and live day in, day out for a solid six weeks of the Big Bash um, was just amazing. And that, and that probably kick-started and, and my career and, and helped me get to where I got to or where I am today. Yeah, now, Greeny, um, it's a bit of an unprecedented time at the minute, obviously, with the COVID stuff and everything going on. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? And, you know, you're living in Manly, you've obviously got the beach there. So whether that's to do with cricket, whether it's outside of cricket, what have you been doing? Yeah, it, it's, it is a, um, a weird time and, and no one really knows you know, no one could have predicted this or, or knows how to deal with it. For me, um, life at the moment isn't 
too different. I guess the downtime is is the hardest part. You're not able to do things that you love. And for me, that's, you know, just cruising around Manly, whether it be going for swims and hanging down on the beach or, or catching up with mates on the weekend and, and the evenings, particularly this time of year where I, I try and get all my social um, catch-ups done with, with all my mates that I don't get to see at times and, and go on a holiday as well and have a little refresh from from cricket so that's the only thing that I guess I'm starved of at the moment I'm bowling three three times a week uh with my coach uh one-on-one um in an outdoor net out west um I drive out to him and we're in a quiet quiet park which has been actually really nice and then I, I head down um down the road we've got there's a cricket net where I'm able to use a bowling machine so I I bug bug the hell out of my mum or dad or or my girlfriend to feed me some balls uh, for an hour. Um, and then, you know, being by the beach, I'm able to go for runs and I've got a little bit of equipment that I've borrowed to set up a home gym to, to get me through it. So it's still, it's still okay. It's just doing it by yourself, which I guess playing these T20 cricket tournaments, you, you sort of have to do anyway by yourself and seek your own stuff. But it's the in-between time, I guess. That's, that's just a bit tougher. Mate, how does your girlfriend feel about feeding your balls, mate? she all over? <laughs> She loves it. No, she hates it. I, I reckon I can get her out for once a fortnight and then it's like, all right, well, what do I get in return? Um, but she's she's a aspiring actress, so she's done a lot of auditions where I've been doing the script with her in the background. So I've earned my brownie points and it's time to, to use them back for, for cricket and, and it's a great time now. That's it, mate. A bit of give and take, mate. That's uh, yeah. definitely been well in the boyfriend books, mate, with the, with the acting. So that's... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So while we're while we're still on this sort of lightening the mood as well, what's what would you say was your funniest moment on the field? Um, you know, whether that be you involved in or something that you might have seen. Oh, funniest moment. And I think it would the only thing I can think of it, it's obviously not funny for me, but this last CPL, the first game, um, Shoah Malik was captain. Um, we batted first. He got injured batting, so I think retired hurt or finished early. And I actually did all right with the bat and came off the field and they said, because you captained last year, you're going to captain again. Um, we played St. Lucia. We scrambled to a, a good total and, and then we had them nine for oh, nine down, needing like 40 off the last over. So we'd, we'd won the game. Farwood Ahmed was batting, who's a great mate of mine. Usually can't hit the ball off the square until this big bash where we saw him hit a few big sixes and... Um, he smacked one down to me at long off, went straight in the lights. I came sprinting in, hoping it would pop out, as they say, you know, just trust it. It's going to come out. It's going to come out. It came out way too late for me, deflected off my hand and hit me straight where it shouldn't hit you. Um, so I was down um, for a decent amount of time. And obviously the physio runs out thinking you're injured, not seeing what's wrong. And I, he said to me, what happened? I said, mate, you can't rub this. Um but I'm in a lot of pain. So that was, I think, everyone around me, as soon as I said that, was burst out laughing because they wasn't, weren't sure what I heard. Uh, and then when they saw the slow motion replay go up on the big screen, uh, everyone in the crowd started laughing as well. So that's, that's all I've got for you. Mate, you always see those on the screen, you know, everyone sort of scrambling around and then when you know what's happened, everyone just feels like they don't really care anymore. And they start- <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this, all the sympathy went out so that action replays or whatever they are, they, they ruin it for everyone. Now, Greeny, I'm sure you can uh, see a trend kind of emerging here where Paul brings the humour and I bring the facts. Yeah. So getting back onto cricket, obviously you were um, 
picked up in the IPL for the Kolkata Knight Riders this year. Um, talk us through where you were when that happened and, and how did you find out? Yeah, it was, it's a surreal thing again. Um, we just played the Renegades. Um, our second game beat them uh, down in Geelong, so it was a great thing. I think the Thunder had only beaten the Renegades once before that in the history of the BBL. So for, and for me, I'd never beaten them. Um, they'd always, I, I didn't even know it, but that we got told after I'd, I, that I'd never beaten them. We worked it out. So it was good feeling. Um, you know, big bash games finish quite late in the evening. You get back to the hotel sometimes midnight just before or just after and um, the adrenaline's still pumping. And um, during the, the second innings of the game, the, the auction was had obviously started and, and the top dogs had been rolling through. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement around Pat Cummins getting the record record deal. Um, and then, you know, we were sitting around uh, getting a little bit of takeout, sipping on a glass of red and, and some tea, just six or seven of us trying to unwind and let the adrenaline pass out before we went to bed. And um, I got a message through from Brendan McCullum saying, uh, welcome to the team, bro. Can't wait, wait to have you. Uh, and then it got announced on Twitter that I'd been signed by Calcutta. So I was, you know, over the moon and, and lost for words. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, again, I, it's still something that it, it's hard to believe and, and playing cricket and T20 cricket in particular, once the IPL started and, and seeing what it's about and, and hearing what it's about, it, you then add it to your list of ambitions and dreams to get there. So there's something that's really cool and obviously really exciting for me. Mate, that's absolutely unbelievable. All I get is a text from Paul Woodford on a Saturday morning saying good luck, which doesn't quite live up to the same <laughs> from Brennan McCullum. So yeah, the motivation definitely wouldn't be there if he's sending you a message. <laughs> no, that, that's right. That's right. He's probably hoping I get a golden duck. Now, yeah. <laughs> now obviously, with um, the whole coronavirus scenario at the moment, um, everything's a bit up in, up in the air. Have you had any indication as to whether the IPL is going to go ahead or not this year? It's it's still you know all these competitions and and even even ours uh, later in the year are up in up up in the air and it's just wait and see what develops and and what happens. Um, as I said earlier, it's it's all the unknown and no one really knows what's going to happen when it gets better when you know airports start opening up again and um, you know I personally this this virus isn't just going to vanish into thin air so there's not going to be a day where they go right everyone back into the world and, and continue life as normal. I think norm, what we perceive as normal life is going to be very different to, to what it was before this. And um, I guess we've just got to wait and see when that day comes, what it looks like. And then, you know, when, when cricket happens after that and what that looks like, you know, do we shake hands anymore? Do we shine the ball anymore? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, weird phenomenon that I, I think will change. Yeah. As I say, the way we play and the way life goes as we know it. Now, Greeny, um, after Jack's comment, I feel a bit sort of amused by that. So I'll show Jack that I can be a little bit serious here and there. Um, we have a lot of young sportsmen and women listening to this podcast. And obviously, from a young age, there are a lot of setbacks in careers, you know, not getting selected in rep teams, things like that. So for yourself, uh, what setbacks have you had to deal with and how have you gone about dealing with them? Yeah, look, I think... Uh, I've gone through a lot. I'm const- I'm going through one now, and and I think I'm going to go through a lot more. Um, it, it, I think the first thing is accepting them that they're going to happen. No one, no one in the history of sport or life goes through anything unscathed or in the perfect way possible. Um, and to to view them 
or, or search for the positives um, rather than the negatives. And and I heard a really good saying when you know when I was growing up and is as human beings, if we do a hundred things and ninety nine things, we we do really really well, and you know they're perfect. And we do one bad thing, we draw all our attention on that one bad thing. And similarly, if we did sixty things well and forty things bad, our attentions on those 40 things so it's it's flipping that over and going you know what it's actually not that bad and bringing perspective into it and going okay you know I didn't get picked in this team or I didn't go as well as I wanted to today but what did I learn how you know what did I learn for that or how can I get better for the next time or what can I do differently or if I had my time over what would I change so it's, it's asking those sort of questions bringing things in perspective and accepting the mistake or accepting the wrongdoing reflecting upon it and then pretty much just moving on and I think it's important to put it behind you and not let it burden you for too long as well you know as human beings we're going to make mistakes you, you know I'm a perfectionist and that gets in the way of, of my training and, and and my performance at times as well and it's trying to put that put that aside to allow yourself just to be free um, and we've all been there at different situations when you feel seized up and locked and and you can't really achieve what you want to try and achieve or, or execute what you want to try and execute so it's it, it I think that's probably one of the most important things and then um you know the the other one is is just just enjoying it you know you, you never know how long it's going to last for and, and how long you're able to do what you want to do and and you know I, I certainly in going through this and finishing this 90-day ban now and missing games of cricket um particularly the big bash um, this season, which I absolutely love playing, was so tough watching, um, not being injured. Uh, and it's just, you know, really enjoying every moment you get to do what you love to do and, and savouring that and not, you know, worrying about other things too much. And leading on from that, Greeny, obviously you've had a lot of advice from some pretty incredible people. What advice would you give to young athletes chasing their goals and who really want to get to where they want to be? I think... I think, you know, if I, I, I go back, if I could go back and tell myself a, a few things and, and what I try and do now is, is make as many mistakes as possible um, and, and new mistakes. You know, if, if you're obviously making the same mistake over and over again, you, you don't typically want to focus on that, but that's how you learn um, by, by actually failing and, and learning about it and, and then finding ways to correct it or, you know, if you're in that situation again, what would I do differently? And was it actually a technical error or was it a mental error? And, and more often than not, when you come back to it, it's, it's a mental er error. Um, it's, you know, I was overexcited or I was overhyped or I was underhyped in that moment. Um, so that would be the, the, the biggest thing is actually make mistakes and, and dial into what those mistakes were and, and try and learn from them. Um, and then, you know, I think come back to it is, is, a little saying that when I was four or five that my dad's friend said to me and I didn't know what it meant and what it was to do with, but he said to me, Chris, life's not a race, it's a journey. And it, it brings back to that enjoy the moments and savor what you're doing because you never know when it'll be up. So just have fun, uh, have fun with your teammates, have fun with your friends um, and actually enjoy the passion that you're, you're chasing. Yeah, completely agree, mate. And as Paul likes to say, some absolute knowledge bombs in there. <laughs> but um, 
it's obviously not all about cricket and um, as professional athletes, you want to be able to give a bit back off the field as well. Um, I've seen on your Instagram and, and other uh, sources that you're involved in the Ronald McDonald uh, House in Sydney and the Are You OK Foundation. Can you talk to us a bit about your charity work and why you think that's so important? Yeah, look, I, I think I, I got, got involved with those uh, for differing reasons. Ronald McDonald House uh, obviously does some amazing work with with sick kids and um, helping out their families. And and for me, when I was after, you know, getting to where I did early on in, in my game and career, I wanted to, to find ways to, to give back. Um, and, you know, for me, family is everything. So the, the relationship there... Um, and the close-knit community that Ronald McDonald House was able to create and the environment they have in those houses and how supportive they are of one another and uh, I guess accepting of everyone um, really blew me away. So wanting to be involved with them and and help out raise awareness and funds as much as possible um, is something that, you know, I I find really really important in my life and having having a lot of balance to it um and then on the mental health side with are you okay um you know when i was growing through school and and finishing school we there was a, a year in 2014 it was actually the same year i started with my cricket um i lost one of my good mates to suicide and um six months before that one of my best mates dad took his own life as well and then another girl uh, within our friendship group, lost her brother. Um, so really, mental health started affecting us, you know, quite abruptly when we didn't really know much about it. Um, and then it caused me to to understand it a lot more and want to, again, you know, help raise awareness and, and bring knowledge to everyone around it because, you know, there's there's so many people being affected by, you know, for example, coronavirus at the moment, but there's more people dying of, of mental health related deaths um, than that. And it's a far bigger issue that's, you know, hardly being spoken about as well. And, and I'm not using this as a way to talk about it. It's just, it's just something that people are afraid to talk about their own mental health. And that's a scary fact considering how many lives it takes away from us each day, each week, each month and each year. Yeah, Greeny, I completely agree. It's such an interesting or not interesting but um, intricate topic at the moment, especially with, as you said, everybody locked down in their houses with coronavirus. And as men, we we often don't speak to each other enough. So I think it's some great charity work that you're doing there. And, um, mate, awesome. Um, just before we finish up, we do have one little topic or, or segment that we like to finish on, and that's Battle of the Brains. Um, so I'm going to pass you over to Woody to take you through it. All right. Alrighty, well, strap yourselves in because it's time for Battle of the Brains. Right, good. So with this in the past, we've usually just done three questions, but I thought we could get a little bit more out of you with this one. So I've decided to go with something a bit different. Okay. Um, I'm going to have 10 quick fire questions. You have three seconds maximum to answer them. So I want honest answers, all right? Okay, so just one word. Are they one-worders or as many as I can get in in three seconds? Pretty much one-worders, mate. Yeah, just okay. whatever comes to mind straight away, you're ready to go. Okay. All right. Favourite country to play cricket in? Australia. Net Bunny. Kevin Peterson. Six to win in the last ball of a super over. Who do you want in your team facing, Callis or Dre Russ? Dre Russ. 
Best captain you've been under? Mike Hussey. Best roommate on tour? Fawad Ahmed. Best figures? Uh, four for not many. <laughs> <laughs> Played with, with the worst music taste? Gurinder Sandu. Pie or sausage roll? Pie. Tennis, surfing or golf? Oh, you're a, no. <laughs> I can't answer that. Uh, tennis or golf? Okay. Last person you'd want to bowl to? Kevin Peterson. Mate, Gurinder Sandu, I played a second 11 match against him early in the year. He's a bit of an enigma on the field, that guy. <laughs> Worst music taste. I love that. Uh, Thank well, Greeny, thank you so much for joining us today, mate. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you've had a good time. But also just with this, um, you know, with these podcasts, we're wanting some information for, you know, younger cricketers and even younger sportsmen and women around the country just to be able to listen to and take some advice. And if they can take one thing from this, you know, that helps them with that career and listen to someone like yourself, mate, that's what we're, we're here to do. So I just want to thank you, mate. It's been a lot of fun, definitely on mine and Jack's part, and hope you had a good time on it. No, thanks, boys, and I think you hit the nail on the head and some exciting stuff, you know. It's not providing all the answers and it's if someone can walk away with one little thing that can help them be a better person, better cricketer, better athlete or, you know, better better in life in general, then that, that's all you're after. So I think it's a really exciting space you're diving into and uh, I, for one, had a lot of fun on it and I'll be following and wishing you guys all the best. Cheers, Greeny. Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it, mate. No worries. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another episode of the PJ Performance Podcast. We hope you thoroughly enjoy getting to know Green a bit better and finding out what makes him tick both on and off the field.